Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, it has been a busy week at the state capitol as Georgia lawmakers scramble to get legislation passed in at least one chamber ahead of a key deadline. Well, it's called Crossover Day. It's coming on. WABE's political reporting dynamic duel of Raul Bally and Sam Greenglass join us to recap. Plus, our Paycheck to Paycheck series continues. We'll meet one of the households we'll be following in our series as we track how people are making ends meet. Now, all those conversations coming up. But first this, let's begin with some money. How about this? Boys and Girls Club of America, which is headquartered here in Atlanta, announcing today a milestone. And it's a big one. A $281 million gift from Mackenzie Scott. This is no, she's not related to me. This is the largest collective gift given by an individual in support of Boys and Girls Clubs and the organization's 160 year history. You can believe that. There are more than 4,700 locations in various communities across the nation. They do a lot for young boys and girls. Again, Boys and Girls Club of America, headquartered right here in Atlanta, receiving a $281 million gift from philanthropist and writer Mackenzie Scott. Cousin Mackenzie. In other news, the U.S. Department of Justice says it's continuing to investigate a recent spate of bomb threats made against historically black colleges and universities, including some here in Georgia. Attorney General Merrick Garland gave an update on the effort Wednesday. 31 FBI field offices are working in close coordination with our law enforcement partners across the country to investigate, disrupt, and prosecute the recent threats targeting historically black colleges and universities. I am in regular contact with our FBI team about these efforts. As with any ongoing investigation, I'm limited in what I can say about this specific matter. But allow me to be very clear. At the Justice Department, we believe the time to address illegal threats is when they are made, not after tragedy strikes. In addition, Vice President Kamala Harris says the institutions targeted, including Spelman College here in Atlanta and Morehouse, are eligible for federal grants to help improve security and mental health on campus. The FBI is investigating bomb threats made against at least 36 HBCUs in January and February. In other news, Georgia state leaders are hoping pay raises in the new state budget will help employee turnover. As Raul Bally reports, one agency hoping for a big impact. 
Juvenile Justice Commissioner Tyrone Oliver got the attention of state lawmakers during budget hearings talking about the high turnover of juvenile detention center officers. Turnover rate um, last fiscal year was 97% in our entry-level position. So that's, that's our entry-level JCOs, people who are there for a year or less. Um, overall, in that, in that entire series, it's still high. It's about 74%. Oliver says a 10% raise last year helped bring down turnover from 97% to 90%. The new state budget increases pay $7,000 for more than 1,200 juvenile detention center officers. It's going to make a huge difference, especially in rural Georgia. Um, and I think, um, you know, when you look at about talking about counties like that down in, in the rural Georgia, that's a, that's a big difference. It's a, it's a lifestyle change. It's a game changer. While it's a very difficult job, Commissioner Oliver says his agency also has to continue to work on agency culture and workplace climate. At the state capitol, Raul Bally, WABE News. And the Federal Reserve hopes raising interest rates for the first time since 2018 will help ease inflation. It's the highest it's been in decades in the U.S. Emory University professor of economics Caroline Fuling says in inflation has been especially bad in Metro Atlanta over the last several months. We've had a big population increase in Atlanta over the years. And then when you added on the supply chain problems of the pandemic, getting building supplies and so on, it's it's caused a increase in the housing shortage. And so that's caused some price pressure on rents in the Atlanta area. And Fuline says blame big tech companies for that population spike. And Atlanta's increased spending power means more upward pressure on those home prices. Ambassador Andrew Young has been chosen to receive the 2022 Soka Global Citizen Award. Now it's an award. It's awarded by the Soka University of America, a private college in Southern California founded on Buddhist principles of human rights and peace to people who, quote, address key issues facing society and the world. And we all know Andrew Young celebrated his 90th birthday last week. Well, by now, you should have completed your March Madness brackets. Well, you got, no, you don't have any time. So if you don't, you're out of luck. And if you pick Georgia State to beat Gonzaga, the number one seed, hey, who knows? On any given court, anybody can beat anybody. Trust me. GSU, a 15th seed, will play the number one seed Zags today in the first round of the NCAA men's tournament. The Georgia Tech women are out west, and they'll play Kansas in the first round tomorrow. And the Lady Bulldogs, UGA, will play Dayton in their first round, and that is tomorrow as well. Speaking of basketball, some men's college basketball players at Atlanta's HBCUs will be playing in the HBCU All-Star Game next month. The first ever showcase game will have 24 players from historically black colleges and universities and two conferences. Here's HBCU All-Stars founder and CEO Travis Williams on CBS Sports Network talking about the announcement of the roster. We're really excited. It was scheduled to start in 2020 at Morehouse College. And of course, you know, the pandemic hit. And then again, when the uh, NCAA tournament in Indianapolis, uh, we circled back with our CBS Sports partners. But there was a lot of restrictions that were put in place. So we decided to focus on the inaugural one. Where the women, Travis? Come on. Now, those Atlanta players include Noah Morgan from Morehouse, Brandon Miller from Miles, and Trey DeLoach from Savannah State. Speaking of sports, former Atlanta Braves first baseman Freddie Freeman is now with the Los Angeles Dodgers. According to several media outlets, Freeman and the Dodgers have agreed to six years, $162 million. bucks. Not bad. That is not Irish disco music. This is Closer Look on 90.1 WABE, 
From Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. That voice, that sound you heard of Mackenzie Scott ripping up the check that she was going to write to WABE because of the disco. I don't know. This week, the Georgia legislature legislature crossed a key deadline in its 40-day session. Crossover day came and went. Yes, Tuesday. Legislation that hasn't made it through at least one chamber, either the House or the Senate, by that point, generally has a low chance of final passage. Generally has a low chance of final passage. Now, some bills that made it through would impose criminal penalties for protests and cut Georgia's gas tax. Some that didn't would have allowed for private school vouchers and betting on horse racing. We think. Lots to talk about with our WAB's political reporting dynamic duo, Raul Bally and Sam Greenglass. They were there covering it all. Welcome and happy St. Patrick's Day. Hi, Rose. Great to be with you as always. I am uh, sitting in the state Senate chamber and I was jamming out to that disco. You should have seen the look of a staffer who was just happened to walk through here. <laughs> I mean, I already get those looks, but still. Yeah, I was going to say that one because of the music role. <laughs> I'm, I'm messing with you. Uh, you're in the Senate chamber. Yeah. Yeah, we already wrapped up here. I was going to say, are you supposed to be in there? Do you have permission? Or? I don't know. I haven't been thrown out yet. Well, don't say it live on the radio, bro. You got to keep it a secret. Yeah, we're just, yeah, we're just, oh, okay. Let's start here, fellas. Um, crossover day usually, usually involves lawmakers you know, working late to the night. How late did they go this year, and how does that compare to maybe previous years, Raul? Um, you know what? The Senate for the past couple of years has been trying to wrap up a little earlier, get their calendar done earlier. So they, they finished probably a little after dinner. Um, I can look up the time here in a second. Over on the House side, mm-hmm. we were here right up to about 11 o'clock, um, wrapping up with the with the big elections bill. So, you know, it, we've seen crazier. Um, so I, I would say kind of in the middle in terms of crazy territory about how late we were here. All right, Sam, this was your first crossover day. How did it go for you? You know, it was interesting to me because we talk so much about all these controversial bills, these, you know, divisive concepts, um, guns. But so much of what actually happens on crossover day is the minutia of everyday lawmaking, like dozens and dozens of bills on everything from voting licenses to the retirement age of judges. And they're all moving kind of on a bipartisan basis. And Mm -hmm. some of them actually even pass unanimously. But then you also get these moments like a very heated debate on the election bill to round out the night Mm -hmm. at, you know, 11 o'clock. So it's this huge mix. But I think my favorite moment was uh, when Representative Sharon Henderson introduced her bill. This was her first bill that she was going to get passed through the House as a representative. And it was to provide Medicaid coverage for animal annual mammograms. Mm-hmm. Um, she had just uh, come out of being a, a breast cancer survivor. This bill was inspired by that journey. She got a standing ovation afterwards. So it was really a sweet moment, kind of contrasted with some of the very intense debate over something like the election bill. So a huge mix of things. So lots of action to get to from this week. But let's start with, I guess, a couple of pocketbook issues. State lawmakers took up an income tax cut and a measure that would suspend the state's gas tax. That bill is really close to getting passed here. What happened? So let's start with the gas tax because we had action this morning Mm -hmm. on that. The the state Senate has passed it and has sent it to the governor. And here's what it does. So the moment the governor signs it, it will suspend Georgia's gas tax which is 29 cents for unleaded, 33 cents a gallon for diesel. Mm-hmm. And it was suspended to May 31st. Um, the governor could possibly sign it today. We're hearing more likely he'll sign it tomorrow. 
couple of important things to, to, to explain to our audience. The moment the governor signs this tomorrow, it does not mean gas prices will automatically come down mm -hmm. because gas that's in the ground right now, taxes has already been paid on that at your gas station. It's that next big you know, delivery of mm -hmm. gas that's going to have that tax taken off. So, you know, it could be a few days, you know, your, your busier gas stations, you may see the gas price drop there sooner. Uh, the other interesting thing is a couple of people have been asking me about the budget issues. So I talked to Terry England this morning, who's the, the chairman of appropriations in the House. There's not going to be an issue. There is enough extra money in the budget that they will cover the money lost for the gas tax. That, that's the money that's used to fix state roads mm -hmm. around the state of Georgia. So there's not going to be a budget issue there when it comes to that. That was my next question, Raul, because if we are suspending, the, I mean, that impacts the revenue. The state's monthly Correct. revenue, yeah, and that and that number is about about depending on the month, one hundred and thirty to one hundred fifty million dollars. But again, there's so much money that's coming in right now into the state coffers that's going to be covered. So there's not going to be an issue for Georgia roads or Georgia road projects, unlike last year. Mm -hmm. Remember, you guys, uh, for for one week, the gas tax was suspended when the colonial pipeline issue happened, mm -hmm. that money was not recovered. So that's about 20 to $30 million that was not recovered for road projects in the state. Let's talk about the income tax cut. Uh, the state income tax cut uh, is, I believe, also on the governor's desk. We're waiting for a signature on that. And that's about, by the way, the estimates on that came down. That It's about $1.1 billion. But basically, here's the deal. If you file taxes in 2020 and 2021, so this actually would not include Sam. Um, you would have had to file taxes the past two years. You would get about $250 if you're a single filer. If you're a joint filer, it's going to be $500. Uh, and we're told after the governor signs, it's going to be about six to eight weeks uh, before that money will start appearing for people, which interestingly, by the way, gets relatively close to the May 24th primary. Mm -hmm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Speaking of money, lawmakers want to be paid more. What's happening there? So we that was one of the pieces of legislation following. Um, so you have a, you have rep, state representative uh, Wes Kentrell. He has been making this argument for a long time that that if you want more people to serve and state. And by the way, Speaker Ralston has to if you want more people in more industry to serve, not just pastors, not just lawyers. You want more. You've got to raise the pay right now. State lawmakers make about $17,000 before they get their per diem. Here's what the resolution that passed the House is. It would set state lawmaker salaries at two-thirds the medium a median household income in Georgia, which State Representative Cantrell says right now would be about $35,000 a year. So you're talking about going from 17 mm -hmm. to 35. The bill's now in the Senate. It's going to have a really tough path in the Senate because – Again, you're talking about people asking to raise your salary. If it does get out of the Senate, then it goes to a voter referendum and Georgians would vote on it this November. Oh, you, you said it would have uh, faced some opposition in the Senate. Why? You've got a number of lawmakers who say we should not. I think the word that was used um, by a lawmaker on the floor this week was leaders should get a salary increase last. You know, mm -hmm. you should use the money elsewhere. And, oh, it, it, we've had another lawmaker. It's just like, look, we knew the salary when we, we took this job, okay? We knew. 
So mm-hmm. you've got that mix. That's that's that argument that's made by opponents. Supporters say is if you want more people to serve, more people from different you know job fields to serve, you got to raise the salary. Mm. Now, lawmakers also waded into the issue of who can protest and where and how. Now, Republican State Senator Randy Robertson says a measure was inspired by the January 6th Capitol riots and some demonstrations here in Atlanta during the summer of 2020. Let's take a listen to this. If you want to assemble and your intent is to get your message across, then you go out there and you get your message across any way you want to, as long as you don't cause violence or damage to another human being. Now, this measure kind of came out of nowhere, right? Who wants to take this? So this is another bill that came kind of just under the crossover day wire. Um, and the biggest change that is actually going to happen here if this is passed is it makes a permit required for any kind of public protest. So that is that is a huge ad for if you want to go out on the sidewalk and demonstrate. Um, it also adds harsher penalties for crimes that are committed at a protest. You know, keep in mind, a lot of these are already crimes that have penalties, but it bulks them up if they're done at a protest. Um, it makes blocking a highway, mm-hmm. defacing a public monument. Those are now felonies uh, if this bill is to pass. Um, you know, we talked about it kind of coming out of nowhere, but Republican maker, lawmakers have actually been working on some version of this bill since those protests in 2020, but it has been so controversial that it has taken a while to get anywhere. And then you're right, it kind of cropped up at this last critical moment before crossover day in the session. Um, it also raises some really big First Amendment questions when you're kind of talking about restricting the right to protest and assemble and free speech. It is probably going to be challenged in mm. court. Similar laws have been in other states. Um, I think the other interesting piece of debate that came up on crossover day was Democrats made a point that Republicans this session are making permits uh, required for protests at the same time that they're making them optional for carrying a weapon. And Democrats were kind of trying to point out that juxtaposition of those two things. Mm. We also saw some action that basically, if you will, cleans up something that lawmakers did a few years ago. We're talking about legalizing the production of medical marijuana in the state. And again, this is there's so many layers to this, so to speak. What was the problem lawmakers were trying to solve and how are they proposing to solve it? So a couple of years. So first of all, when the law was passed to make low THC oil, medical cannabis oil legal, the state of Georgia made the possession legal, but not buying it legal. Mm-hmm. And then part of that process was this whole setup of, of granting these licenses for people to grow the medical marijuana and then produce the oil. The thing is, we're a couple of years into that process, and it's still not happening yet. Mm-hmm. So you've had a number of lawmakers say, OK, we've got to figure out a way to solve this. Because where the process is right now, is six licenses have been granted by the state of Georgia, by a commission, it's not finalized, and there are already lawsuits, people suing. I was and just so about to say is, that there was been opposition in terms of whom was granted a license and exactly. some yeah, allegations of favoritism so, and all that. So what jumped out at me on crossover day is the House Speaker stepped in. David Ralston stepped in with a compromise bill among three lawmakers who had pr- produced their own bills. And here's the basics. The six people who got producer licenses, those are canceled, okay? Start a brand new bidding process, not run by the Marijuana Commission, but run by a different agency here in the state of Georgia. But more importantly was this line. It orders the commission to go out and 
purchase low THC oil for the 23,000 people on the state's registry. So this is not homegrown oil. This is mm-hmm. go out and go find that oil. Now, the, here are the couple of concerns. A couple of people said, where are you going to go find that much oil for 23,000 people? I talked to Speaker Ralston. He's confident it's going to happen. Not everybody's happy with this compromise. You know, the people who had already got these licenses, some of them have invested millions of dollars and are almost ready to go. Some of them said they can get oil ready to go in 60 to 90 days. So that's what this bill is trying to solve. You also got the, you know, the the Senate passed its own version. The question is, what do you do about the six people who have tentatively already won licenses? And how do you get oil into the hands, the low THC oil in the hands of the 23,000 people who are on the state's registry. Well, and then what happens to the commission that was created to not have these problems, but to figure out how to do this? Well, with the, with the speaker's bill, it is right now going to go out and go find that oil. That's you know, their only task. Oil. Go find some right THC now, oil. I, I think that's right now what, what, what the approach is, what it's down the road, maybe a different piece of legislation. Ah. <laughs> And so it continues. Let's take a moment, and I want to pour out for the bills that died on Tuesday. Some of you, <laughs> some of y'all, will get that reference. Let me pull this something for the bills that aren't here any longer. <laughs> let's talk about legislation with school vouchers and betting on horse racing. What now? Let's let me stop it because it makes it sound like there's a school voucher so you can bet on horse horse racing. Let's talk about the legislation. <laughs> Maybe that would have passed. That that would have been interesting. <laughs> let's talk about legislation about school vouchers first. What happened? So this is another one of those perennial issues that comes up many a session and ultimately does not make it to the governor's desk and, you know, even through one chamber before crossover day, which is what happened this session. Uh, It would have been a $6,000 voucher for folks who want to take their kid out of public school and put them into a private school. And this is another one of those issues where there was actually a split among Republicans. Democrats are fairly uniformly opposed to this. Um, People who, you know, are hesitant to divert resources from public schools is kind of what it comes down to. And so uh, this one uh, died another death uh, on the Senate floor uh, on the eve of, of crossover day. And horse racing. What happened to the horses? In the end, they the Republican representative did not have enough votes. Mm-hmm. That That's what it comes down to is they needed because it's going to be put on the ballot. You need two thirds uh, of the votes in the Senate. Anything that's put on 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 the ballot mm-hmm. has to be two thirds. And yeah. he just he didn't state rep, state Senator Jeff Mullis didn't have uh, the votes. But here's the important thing. It is not dead. I have made a very opponents and supporters of horse racing have made clear it's not dead. And here's why. The Senate sports betting bill has already passed the Senate. It actually passed last year and is still sitting over in the House. We've always talked about that you can copy paste legislation mm-hmm. and, and, and put it on. So it could happen. That is absolutely a possibility of that could be put into uh, the sports betting bill. And then again, I've talked about this before. Before the session, you had Speaker Ralston lay out down a different marker and a different idea. Mm-hmm. And that is put all gambling on the ballot, all of it. Yep. Put it on the ballot, let Georgians vote, and then let lawmakers figure out the details later. I think the important thing, there's so many conversations on why are people for or against it. But let me mention one thing that people don't talk about enough. What happens to the money that comes to the state from any form of gambling? 
You you grab six lawmakers, you'll get six different answers. Yeah. Education, health care, small business loans, so many different things. Yeah. And some people who are okay with horse racing, but not big on the roulette wheel and the and the slots. And some people who are like, hey, you know, I, I, I know how to play poker, but I don't want horse racing. So do you have all of that? The day ended, Absolutely. crossover day ended with some action on how the state conducts elections. Here we go again. The Georgia House passed a bill that would actually change election laws. Now, Democratic State Representative B. Wynn, she had a different take on the measure. The governor promised no new election bills. And now we've got a 40-page bill shoved through committee, fast-tracked onto the House floor. And just like Senate Bill 202, a bill predicated on lies, misinformation, and conspiracy theories. How much truth is in her statement? Yeah, so Speaker Ralston, Lieutenant Governor Duncan, when we talked to them at the beginning of this session, they did pretty much say, you know, that is enough with changes to election law. Though, to be fair, Ralston has said throughout this session he was interested in maybe giving the Georgia Bureau of Investigation the power to initiate election fraud investigations. And that's kind of what's at the, the meat of this mm -hmm. bill. That's what it's titled. Um, but, you know, Republicans said that this is a measure to convince people beyond a doubt that elections are free and fair. You know, we've heard so many claims from mostly Republicans, uh, false claims about widespread election fraud. But something else that Representative Wynn said, I think, makes an interesting point. I should also note that she's running for Secretary of State. Sure. Uh, but what she said is, where does this stop? People who are making false claims about election integrity will never be satisfied. So after SB 202, you know, Republicans said this is it. At then here this session, they passed another bill. Will there be another one next session? And the session after that, mm. can you ever satisfy people who have doubts about the election and, you know, where where does this end? So I think that is something we should keep watching. Sam and, and Raul, as we begin to wrap up, and Sam, I'll start with you. What was, if any, that was most surprising to you on crossover day? I, I think the, the what we already talked about, medical marijuana, mm -hmm. what was important because there was so much conversation um, around how to fix this, how, you know, the stalled process, stuck process, whatever it is. I, I had not heard any whiff that the speaker had stepped in because I was following all these bills. And so to me, to me, that was in terms of something we didn't know coming. I think that was probably a big deal. Hmm. Sam? I got to say, for the most part, even as someone who is new to covering crossover day, there were not many moments where I was on the edge of my seat saying, I don't know what is about to happen. Of course, there are many moments when I was like, what bill is about to come to the floor? That was, of course, very confusing. But on something is on the floor and we're heading toward a vote, is it going to die or is it going to proceed? Almost everything was pretty predictable on that front. So, you know, the process surprising. The substance of what happened, maybe not so much. Gotcha. Now, this didn't happen on crossover day, but it's Still big news. Governor Kemp signing the state budget for the amended fiscal year of 2022. Uh, of course, this does include pay raises for teachers and state employees. Governor Kemp says it also restores cuts made to education last year. Here's a bit of what he said about that. This amended budget fully restores austerity cuts made to K through 12 education during the COVID recession through more than three hundred and eighty eight million dollars. Anything else in his spending plan? It really, the the big the big portion of the majority of the money was for um, 
for the pay raises for state employees, university employees, public teachers. Um, and, you know, you played my story earlier, you know, the even higher pay increases mm -hmm. for, for certain agencies like the Department of Juvenile Justice, which has seen incredible turnover among their employees. Uh, you know, the, the important thing about those pay raises, especially for state employees, is agencies are just challenged by turnover, mm -hmm. defects, um, Department of Corrections, juvenile justice. And, you know, $5,000 may make the difference. And that you heard that in that story. Five to $7,000 could make a big difference in either hiring or keeping employees, especially in rural Georgia. Mm, absolutely. Sam, you want to add anything? I mean, I think the thing that we've been talking a lot about the budget as we transition from being reporters covering the legislature to covering the campaign is uh, these pay, the pay raises for teachers, for state employees, the tax cuts, the, the gas, you know, there is a lot of politics going on to, here too and trying to think about, you know, how can we make life tangibly better for voters, for constituents, not only for the good in our hearts, but also as we head into an election season, that's going to be really heated. Anything else, fellas, that you want to get out so that later, if it happens, you can say, Rose, remember when I told you on Thursday, March 17th, and now it's happened? Because this would be your moment, Raul. I think Buckhead is dead, dead. Um, that was actually the first thing that happened. That, that, on that's not a shocker, day. though, Raul, is it? I still, I, I thought there'd be another an attempt. And, and for those who don't know, there was another attempt uh, early Tuesday. Uh, you had some new bills filed and once again lieutenant governor sent them to an all democratic committee uh and effectively killing him again i, I just knew at some point there'd probably be another attempt uh, again you had the lieutenant governor and the speaker lay down those markers and say this is not happening this year i just thought it'd be another attempt it happened and it failed all right sam I mean, the one bill that didn't make it through crossover that has drawn a lot of controversy is, um, you know, this bill about talking about sexual orientation and gender identity in classrooms at uh, this particular bill, private schools that did not make it through crossover day. But, you know, it is possible it could get inserted into some other education bill. So still something to keep an eye on. The raw milk situation, as they say. Where are we with that? Um, it's in the Senate. I haven't seen a hearing on it. Um, but one of the other bills we've mentioned in the past, uh, the possum, one of the possum bills was actually voted on today. Uh, really? That would, yes, well, it was voted on today in the Senate for year round possum and raccoon hunting um, instead of just a, a, a smaller period. And I got a better explanation as to why these are important. It's because apparently these animals are eating turkey, turkey eggs, uh, eating uh, sea turtle eggs. Mm -hmm. Um, and what backyard, was the other one? Oh, chicken backyard eggs. chickens. Yeah, backyard yes. chicken eggs. So, uh, you know, I, I was wondering what. So that's so. Th this is as much a pro hunter bill, especially with the turkey hunters, as it is uh, anti raccoon and possum. Would that also apply to the urban areas? Because I don't need folks around my neighborhood going out <laughs> trying to take out a possum. Because there are possums and raccoons in my neighborhood, and I'm I'm in a city, as they say. So I, I don't need my neighbor. William, he knows who he is. We call him Teddy. I don't need him because now he's excited. Oh, I can just go out here. Well, this bill doesn't change where you can hunt possums, just when. So I don't know if you can <laughs> currently. 
I don't know if you can currently hunt them in the city of Atlanta. I don't need folks can, walking down Cheshire Bridge. Do it more months. I don't need folks walking around Cheshire Bridge. I'm hunting possums and raccoons. <laughs> Come on now, let's leave them alone. I do understand about the sea turtles, the eggs, and I get it, but not we. Raul Bally, Sam Greenglass, our WAB politics <laughs> reporters. Re, I'll get an email recapping the recent week of action at the state capitol. <laughs> Thanks, Rose. It's all we need. Somebody walking down Piedmont with a AR something. What are you doing? Saw a possum. Yeah, okay. Take care, fellas. <laughs> love you, Rose. I love y'all, too. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look will continue in just a moment. Got a programming note for you. Coming up on tomorrow's Closer Look, we'll bring you the origin story about a group of senior women here in Atlanta and a bond that developed during the pandemic. Okay, nature girls. Let's gather. Don't forget your mask, ladies. Get your mask. That's right. Closer Look producer LaShawn Hudson will have more on the Nature Girls. That's tomorrow on Closer Look. We're back in a moment. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As mentioned earlier, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates for the first time since 2018, hopefully to ease inflation. It's the highest it's been in decades in the U.S. And we told you that Emory Professor of Economics, Caroline Fuling, says inflation has been especially bad in Metro Atlanta over the last several months. We've had a big population increase in Atlanta over the years. And then when you added on the supply chain problems of the pandemic, getting building supplies and so on, it's it's caused a increase in the housing shortage. And so that's caused some price pressure on rents in the Atlanta area. And no doubt this impacts consumer behavior in terms of expenses. We all know that. In our Paycheck to Paycheck series, we've been asking folks to assess their household's financial status. Well, I'm living, I think, uh, life where I've been very, we've been deliberate, our family, about... Um, cutting expenses and just kind of living below our means so that we have somewhat of a cushion. Now here on the program, we will follow four households from various parts of the region to see how they're making ends meet and the everyday financial challenges. Our first household profile 
is with Jess, a community organizer and communications coordinator living in Milledgeville, Georgia. Now, we spoke earlier as our Paycheck to Paycheck series kicked off this month. Jess, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yes, thanks so much for having me here today. Let's begin here by going back. Can you recall, as you were growing up, did someone, and who was that someone, they talked to you about the importance of, let's say, budgeting and, and saving? So growing up, the importance of that wasn't necessarily a conversation, but it was just a reality. Um, couponing was a big game in my household. My mom was a couponer extraordinaire and had a very deliberate system of which grocery stores she shopped at on which days based on whether it was double coupon day or buy one, get one free day. And I did grow up in Heard County, which is uh, technically Metro Atlanta, but it's very rural. And so we had to drive a county up to mm. Carrollton to do our shopping. So that was a, a very deliberately planned outing that um, just based on the carefulness that all the decisions in the household were made off of, mm-hmm. um, that kind of financial reality was was just something that I recognized as a, a fact of life when you're a grown up. So now, Yet you're a grown up, you're all grown up, you're making adult decisions. So you think about the work that you do, what you bring in um, with, along with your wife. Does that bring in enough to cover your monthly expenses? Our monthly expenses are covered um, for the time being because of the student loan pause. Ah. When, when that pause ends, um, there's going to be a, a serious uh situation and a deficit that we are going to have to address what does that look like does it mean a reduction in the fancy pet food does it mean something else doesn't get covered i mean what what's going to be the first thing the first things to go will probably be um you know streaming services or maybe a spotify you know premium subscription we've never been a cable household Like many millennials, it's just not worth the expense to us. Um, More than likely, it'll look like me seeking additional employment. I work part-time for the time being. Mm -hmm. Um, So looking at what comes in is just that number's going to have to go up. Um, And then... So let me get this straight. With the student loans, when they come back online, that means you'll cut some... Entertainment, I mean, what can we call streaming services, entertainment, Spotify, but then you might have to get us another job. Yes, uh, depending on when I do my application, which of the programs, repayment programs they select, um, I will have to, yeah, bring in more income. Do you and does your wife, do you all have health care, health insurance? We- we do. My wife is a teacher, actually a first year teacher. So uh, we'll we'll have to be buying a lot less classroom supplies. Frankly, we'll have to invest less money in uh, some of the things that we simply believe are important, like mutual aid and uh, building the classroom library. So you have the student loan debt. Does your wife have the student loan debt as well? She does not. So that is a, a huge privilege in our household that she was able to graduate from undergrad and master's debt free um, with family support, which is a situation that I just didn't have. Mm-hmm. If someone said to you, Jess, on a scale of one to 10, 
how your financial managing your financial situation correlates with your stress level, 10 being extremely high, where would you place it? I would say probably a 10. Really? Yes, it's certainly been a, a contributor to my stress level. And um, being, you know, someone who lives with PTSD, that starts to compound medical issues mm-hmm. and um, kind of a self-feeding cycle as far as the, the effects of being able to work um, while dealing with, you know, the symptoms of, of managing that. Jess, are you able to get the resources you need for PTSD? Or have you ever had to neglect seeking some type of service or resource for that just because you didn't have the money? I did. I had a period where my copay was just um, too much to go as often as I needed. And then at one point during the pandemic in 2020, when it all started, I turned 26. I lost, you know, coverage through my parent and uh, I didn't have health care. So seeking, you know, therapy and treatment was not an option. But now that I have insurance through my wife's job, I am currently in um, treatment. And that's part of why I work part time so that I can balance that kind of emotional expense. Speaking of balance, sounds like and you you tell me I want this to come in through your own words. It's not just something simple as, oh, Jess, just go get a better paying job. It has to be the right job because there are also other circumstances for you. Right. Certainly. I had a a job that I considered a really well-paying job, but due to the really stressful circumstances and the kind of unpredictability of the schedule, um, I had to make a difficult choice to put my health first and to prioritize my well-being and to step back from that position Um, which was was difficult because it was the first salary job I had had coming from a household where, um, you know, my parents were in blue collar positions. They weren't, you know, college educated um, folks until later when my mom pursued nursing. There just, you know, there's a reality that um, I had to accept Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, to have a job that was salaried and did have benefits, um, wasn't going to be worth the expense of me possibly not being here due to the stress. Mm. Are you all able to save money, Jess? No, we don't have savings. So for emergency, you know, you, you might have, you've heard this. Most Americans don't have $400 in case of an emergency. Right. I don't know very many people who have $400 set aside for that. When you and your wife have conversations about the finances, is that, what's, what's that like? Well, it's stressful. We do come from different backgrounds. I mentioned she had some more familial support through college and was able to start out with um, less debt and a little bit more of a leg up. Whereas I'm starting out with um, student debt from undergrad as well as graduate school. And I graduated from graduate school in 2020 um, with a career path that had been basically ran into a brick wall. Mm -hmm. And so the conversations are, um, you know, tense. It's, It's one of those topics that we say, oh, we, 
we should talk about what we're going to do about this credit card or, um, you know, we've got to figure this out. And it feels so daunting at times. Um, it falls off the, the priority list and we kind of just make it, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And as things come up, um, we figure it out. I need new tires on my car. Well, I've got to get the tax return, you know, all the taxes done so that with that return, we can take care of some of these things. But it's like each time we think perhaps we've caught up, um, there's a, you know, an emergency or a vet visit or a doctor's visit that just takes priority. How many pets do you all have? We have seven. Uh, we have. Now, Jess, to I love animals. <laughs> I do. I'd feed a, a stray rhinoceros if it came into my yard. I love pets. You have seven? Wow. We do. So we have one's a tarantula, and she's by far the cheapest. <laughs> so cr- crickets only run a few cents each, and she eats one a month. So if you want a pet and you're struggling, tarantula is the way to go. Uh, two elderly dogs that mm-hmm. were um, rescues from family who wasn't able to take care of them, mm-hmm. four cats, uh, three of whom were strays that just wandered up and chose us. They get you every they, time, Jess. I'm here to tell they you. They do. They see us and they're like, look at those two ladies. They they love cats. So we um, also took in one that was uh, family was unable to care for. So that um, those are our children. <laughs> having Having children is a conversation that is very much tied in with our conversation about finances because it's, um, you know, something we'd like to do, but it feels so wildly unrealistic. So you're delaying starting a family because of finances. Is that what you're saying? Right. And because I want to be sure that I'm in the most healthy place possible to be a parent. Um, But it's a conversation that, I, we can't even realistically think about what would that look like to have kids because just the cost of pursuing, um, you know, an adoption is prohibitive. And then you look at the charts of what it costs to raise a child and mm-hmm. it just is staggering. Uh, I have a listener who says this conversation fills me with gratitude. Trust me, I've been there and it will get better. What do you make of that? I, I do have hope for that. I think, um, you know, as I sit here and think, oh, my gosh, it's already March. And my 2022 goal was to really just tighten up my budget and get get really good about planning. Um, I'm hopeful that I can take those steps and do my best in that regard and that I can pursue perhaps a career um, that'll that could lead to some student loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I really wish that had been part of the State of the Union address that yeah. that that, you know, heavy kind of lingering burden over my shoulder would would be um you know just taken care of wow jess thank you so much for participating in closer looks paycheck to paycheck series we're going to check back with you soon what's the tarantula's name matoka that was the indigenous name of Mm -hmm. pocahontas and um this was my wife's pet from before we started dating. So I, I keep my distance, but I do love her. <laughs> I'm, I feel you on that, Jess. I, I, yeah, this, I, I, I'm with you on that. 
Jess, best of luck to you and your wife and the entire household. Thank you so much for sharing your story. We're going to check back with you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. And if you'd like to share how your household is managing finances or maybe it's quite challenging and you're not, drop us a line or two at paycheck at WABE.org or take our survey. It's quick. WABE.org slash paycheck. Best of luck to you, Jess. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our senior producer is Sam Whitehead. Our other producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. And our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Always send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it is online, wabe.org slash closer look. And of course, listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So, subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.